0: Hey, well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Um, I know Ben's got me a little bit louder than normal just because the fan's going in here. As you can tell, there's no AC. It's actually comfortable in here, but again, we're the first of four congregations that meet in this space, so uh, the fans are really on for the next church congregations more than they are for us right now. Um, but uh, I will do my best to speak up. I guess I don't have to. That's what speakers are for. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here at Hope Lowertown. And uh, really excited to jump into uh, this, this uh, sermon series. Uh, Paul, one of our elders, he kicked off the series last week. And we're looking at uh, 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 a book by uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Bruno. Small little book. Uh, you could finish reading it probably in 30, 45 minutes. It's not, it's not really uh, this, this deep theological book. Uh, but yet, I, I like how the author just says in 16 verses, kind of these major themes of the Bible in 16 verses that if you, if you understand just the theme, even, you don't have to memorize the verses. If you just get this, these two words, kind of the theme from these verses, that's the, that's the overarching story of the Bible. And so really excited about that. Last week, though, Paul had some handouts, uh, from, excuse me, that Pastor Drew had made. Um, we then put that on the website, uh, just so you know. So, um, if you go to hopecc.com slash 16 verses, uh, a one and a six, not spelt out. Sixteen verses. Uh, then you will be able to find um, the articles that were that were written about this thing. So, again, uh, this is the the kind of the the, the journey uh, of going through these different sixteen points. So last week, Paul looked at creation and human beings, uh, and then this week I'm going to be looking at the fall and redemption promised. And then we'll just take one then at a time. We had to sit, fit 16 uh, weeks into 14, so we, we doubled up on the first two weeks. Um, and so that is where we're at in this. But if you if you were to memorize these 16 phrases and words, that that that's the major storyline of the entire Bible. Uh, and you don't have to do that. The first person to do it gets a gift card. Just kidding. That's not true. That's growing up. That's totally what my church would have done. You know, <laughs> like someone memorized the first one to do it. Give you a candy bar. I'll give you a hundred grand. That's what they always did to do, and give the hundred grand candy bars. It's funny. All right. Last week, let me just recap uh, where we were uh, looking at, because it, it, it really ties in. Obviously, looking at um, maybe it's not obvious, but tying into this week, uh, these two. So uh, Paul walked through the first point, creation, looking at Genesis one, thirty-one, and behold. It was very good. And in the creation account, God is going to give these, these benedictions over and over and over. He does something and it says, and it was very good. And he does something else. He creates it and it was very good. And he does this over and over until we get to the first malediction, which is, it is not good. And then he then creates woman and says, it's very good. All right. He, he, he puts the emphasis on this of like, no, this is, this is a good thing. And so then we get to the human beings, uh, that, uh, Paul looked at then last week. Uh, that we have been created in the image of God. He created them, and Paul talked about, this is our, our origin story, that when there's a superhero or, or a villain, there's always some kind of origin story of this individual that made them a certain way, and this is humanity's origin story, that we were created, and this is vital to us understanding the rest of the Bible and even understanding ourselves, because we were created, and we were created with a purpose, Without this, without being created in the image of God, humanity struggles to find purpose. That this is an ongoing thing that, of, of, that has been humanity's struggle without God, their creator, to find purpose. What is the, the meaning of, of life? That we've been created to bear God's image. Uh, last week, Paul was talking about the, this, that, that when you have an idol... Uh, that that idol represents this deity, whatever it may be. It's not actually the deity, it's not actually the God. It doesn't have powers, maybe in some respect, but but it represents, it's a it's a it's a channel that represents the actual deity. And this is why when God gets to the big ten, the ten commandments that he gives the Israelites, as he comes, you know, Moses comes down to tablets. One of them is, Thou shalt not bear false images, right? You're not supposed to create images of me. Because you are my image bearers, right? I I don't need to be represented by some piece of wood or stone. You're my image bearers. Don't, don't do that. Don't try to create me that way. I want you to create life and create more image bearers in the image of God. He created them. And so then we give God the glory. That he is our God and he is worthy of honor. He is worthy of praise. Even, even though we may not fully understand everything that's going on in the world around us, that we can, at the end of the day, say, no, he, he is good. I, I've got questions. I've got a lot of questions, God. But man, I, I know at the end of the day, you are good. That I, that I can rest, rest assured. And so at the end of every chapter, Chris Bruno, he, he uh, just kind of has a little synopsis. And so this is where we kind of ended last week, that God created a kingdom. And he is the king but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. So I want to start off with looking at um, uh, Hamlet. It may not be too familiar. It's been around uh, for a while, since 1599 or 1601, somewhere in there. Get get specific here. Um, I was a big uh, Shakespeare uh, fan when I uh, took a couple classes and I was in a lot of plays um, and uh, really, really, Love the story of, of Hamlet. Uh, this is if, if anybody who's anybody in Hollywood at some point has played Hamlet or Macbeth. It's just it's just one you have to if you're going to be anybody. This I just have a picture of Mel Gibson and Glenn Close. I forget when this this one came out, but and it's it's okay. It, you know I'm not I'm not a huge critic of Mel Gibson, but he he captures uh, Hamlet's uh, like. Almost gonna break to insanity. He, he really captures that, that well. And so just if you don't know the story, which is understandable, uh, if you're not into like Elizabethan, you know, death, uh, you know, then, then I, then I could see how this wouldn't be appealing to you. Um, these tragedies, just every, if you're, if you're looking at a tragedy written by Shakespeare, just everyone's gonna die. Just know everyone's dead. Um, and that's what happens in Hamlet. But Hamlet is visited by his dad, his, his dad's ghost. His ghost shows up, the king of Denmark shows up and he goes to Hamlet and says, you need to avenge my death. I've been killed by your uncle who is now the king and is married now to my wife, okay, his mom. Okay, it's already right off the bat, like, whoa, this got real dark real fast. Um, and so that's what happens. And so even if you don't know anything about Hamlet and the story of it or Shakespeare or any of that, what you probably will know is one line. Um, actually, I'm going to teach you two lines. One, I do this every time I get up to do public speaking, uh, is I quote a line from Hamlet, and it's actually like an Inception thing. In the play Hamlet, they do a play. All right, so he's directing a mini play in the play. It's kind of kind of a cool thing. And in the play, he then says, "Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you trippingly on the tongue." That's my that's my warm up. I say that line over and over and over. You know, fun fact. This is the line from Hamlet you probably do know. To be or not to be, right? And he's got the skull in his hand. What's he talking about? But Hamlet in this moment is having this existential crisis. His world is crumbling around him. Everyone's dying. Everyone's betraying them. He's killed. I mean, it's just, it's just a bloodbath. And he's saying, what is the point to be? Or not to be? That is the question. What is the question? Should I continue with my life or should I just end it? Should I just stop the suffering? And if there's no purpose in life, then Hamlet is asking the right question. Because if, if, light, if life has dealt me a bad hand and I've got some bad cards and everything is just not going well and I have no other purpose, well, then the only way that I can win is and stick it to the whatever my circumstances that are just by chance is death. I die, and then I win. Without purpose, (laughs) we're in trouble. We have been created for purpose by a God who loves us more than we could ever begin to comprehend. And so that's what leads us this week to this idea of promise made in Genesis chapter three. You're gonna be looking at two different verses or sections, just these three verses this morning, Genesis 3, six through seven, and Genesis three fifteen. In the, the little chain I just showed you, the, the, the wording is redemption promise, which I think is really good. But when I, over a decade ago, I, was, I, I did this thing. My wife was an accountant for a, a, a non, well, I guess it was a, I don't know if it was a nonprofit. I don't know what it was, but it was a ministry. Maybe they made money, I don't know. Um, but they, um, uh, they had this thing, it was called the story, and it was very similar in this. And, and they had these, uh, uh, even hand motions, you know, creation and all things good, and they had all these things. But, but there was this hand motion, I'll, I'll never forget, that there was this uh, promise made, where you do the handprints and sign language, promise made, and, and then we'd cross our arms, this promise made. And then when you got to Jesus, then you would do the same thing, and then promise kept and you'd put your hands out as if Jesus on the cross. And it just it just got seared into my brain of the storyline of the Bible that all the way back in Genesis chapter three, that we see a promise being made to fallen humanity. So let's look at now the darkest day in all of human history. In Genesis chapter three, six through seven, just the phrase that we're gonna be looking at, that she took of the fruit and ate. that that phrase changes everything. Everything that we know, our entire existence has been wrapped up because of this statement. All the suffering, all the pain, whether you've experienced it personally, whether it's just been a product of our environment and where we're at and the families we're in and we're born into, whatever it may be, and knowing of atrocities happening in our world at the hands of evil individuals, this is why. Before we can get into that, let's go back though to Genesis chapter two and let's get a little bit of context, a little bit of backstory here. Genesis chapter two. This is God, the creator, now talking to Adam, the first man. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, eat from it, you will certainly die. This is what God says. This is what God tells Adam. Eve has not been created yet. This is what God tells Adam. You can do anything you want, but don't eat this one tree. Don't eat of the fruit of the one tree. It doesn't even say you don't eat the tree. Eat the bark, I guess. You can do that. Maybe it's edible. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Don't do it. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, let me get a little theological here just for a minute. Some theologians call this a covenant of works. What's that mean? In the Bible, we are given explicitly five different covenants that God makes with his people, that I'm gonna do this thing for for you. I'm I'm gonna multiply this nation, that you're gonna have a kingdom set up, that you're gonna have a king who's gonna come on the throne and then Jesus, ultimately, which we're going to look at his new covenant, which is his blood, which we're going to remember by taking these elements this morning that we do every week here, that he makes these covenants. But some theologians call this a covenant of works. What is that? There's usually some stipulations when it comes to a covenant, that you have two parties. Uh, and, and so the, 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 the agreement's made, and that if anyone breaks the covenant, then, it's, then, it's, then bad things happen. And so there are times when God makes covenants with himself and says, this is unconditional. No matter what you do, I'm going to uphold my part of this covenant. You cannot break this covenant. But here they would say, this is the covenant that God is making with Adam because he says, if you simply obey, do all this, and then don't do that. doesn't even say do this. He just says, don't do that. You got one rule. Don't do this. And Adam if you actually obey that, then you will achieve salvation. And so people term that the covenant of works. I'm not in that camp. I just don't like using that word covenant because the only reason is because every other covenant that we get in Scripture, there's always some kind of blood sacrifice. There's always something that needs to happen to, to make this a blood oath that happens. So we can split hairs maybe about what it's called, but I'll get into covenants a little bit more later on, but this is for sure the certain word of God. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. E.J. Young says that there's this interruption, the tenor or the sound of Scripture changes, and we get to chapters 3. That it's about God and his beautiful creation and and again, these, these benedictions, it's good. It's very good. And then chapter three, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. There's something that shifts here. And the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right away, tw- twisting the words of God. no. no. That's not what God said. God said, don't eat of this tree, which Eve gets right. No, no, no. We can eat of any tree. God said, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, or you must not touch it or you will die. No, no, we can do what we want. We just can't eat of this tree. And we looked at this just two weeks ago. We were finishing up the book of Ephesians and we got to the armor of God. And I talked about this. This is, this is the devil. This is Satan's MO. This is his, what is, it, what is that in Italian? Italian. Latin, close enough. Modus operandi, did I say that right? Right, which just means, you know, the things I normally do. <laughs> That's a direct interpretation of modus operandi, what, I, what I'm, you know, what I do. And it is, he always questions God's word, always. Did God really say, and we looked at Matthew chapter three, where Jesus is being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, and God shows up from the heavens and he says, this is my son in whom I am well-pleased. And the very next verse, Satan in the wilderness with Jesus tempting him says, if you are the son of God, right? His MO doesn't change. And he does the same thing with you and me. Did God really say? So then let's see this lie that this serpent tells Eve. Remember, what did God say? You will certainly die. Here's the here's the bold lie from the devil. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, you're not gonna die. It's not gonna actually kill you. Just live a little. Eva, I think you could probably get away with this. It's not a big deal. I mean, really, what's so wrong with doing this one thing? And we can, hear, we can hear those thoughts in our mind. Is it really a big deal? I mean, is it? I know, he's, I know what God said about this, but I mean, come on. I can get away with it. It's not going to kill me. It's not going to kill me. The devil then continues For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here we have, I think, far more dangerous than a blatant lie is a half truth. You're gonna gain some some knowledge. Your eyes are going to be opened about good and evil. You will know good and evil, but it's not gonna be what you think it is. You can be like God, no longer just his creatures or his prized image bearers, his little pets, you can be like God. You can possess the knowledge that God has, right? Satan knows this. He tried this, that he wanted to be like God. I am, I can do this to his own demise. And so now he takes God's prized possession, his image bearers, and he puts these half-truths. And what is the half-truth that's really happening here? What's What's going on in Eve's mind? Is it really just having knowledge? So much more than that. Again, this is what theologians call a declaration of independence or an invitation to autonomy. Self-rule. No longer do I have to have some God, some, some thing in the sky telling me what to do. I don't want a law. I can do it myself. I can determine what I can do, self-rule, autonomy. And from this moment, this is what every single human being struggles with. Self-rule, autonomy, I don't wanna have a God, a creator who's sovereign over me. I will tell you what's good for me. I will decide what's bad for me. What's interesting though, is we have to think about who's speaking. In the book of Thessalonians, we are told this, night, this title that we get of the devil called the man of lawlessness. No law. Do what you want. This is so ingrained in us as human beings. We hate law. There's just something about law that just makes us want to break it. And we see this in an early age with my kids, have, you know, my three-year-old, Jack. My middle kid, he's 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 gonna do he's gonna do you, there is no law, right? You don't tell me what to do, right? Jack, just whatever you do, don't lick the garbage can. Oh yeah? I'll show you. You tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. I, they literally say that. My kids say that. I'm the boss of me. Whoa, <laughs> jeez, where did you hear that? You're not ever hanging out with your neighbor ever again. No, that's 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 them. I'm the boss of me. We hate the law. I'm the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I mean, how am I thinking, I'm right? They just put up in my neighborhood, my neighborhood, one of those um, police things that tell you how fast you're going. I have a speedometer right here. That's a challenge. Like that, I want to see how fast I can get over that. thing. Right? It's my neighborhood. I can do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. We hate it, lawlessness. And the devil comes up and says, you want to live under the law? You can be free from the law, the way I think you can be free from the law and that is by breaking the law. It doesn't have control over you. And then here we get to this verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This isn't the main point of this text, I don't think, but I do think it's amazing that the very first thing that happens when their sin is exposed, that their guilt and their shame immediately seems to be some kind of body image shame. That just their first instinct is, I, I gotta cover up. Just, I just find that interesting. But suddenly here now, Adam and Eve don't just know good and evil, they now know what they can do and what they can't do. They think they've gained autonomy, that they could choose what's good for them. They can choose what's bad for them, but they didn't, we didn't. All of humanity did not gain independence from the sovereignty of God in that moment. He is our creator. Again, the serpent knew this. He tried this. He knew what was gonna happen. He knew the outcome. He just again wanted to try to win. He wanted to prove that he was better. And they become well aware of their sin. They try to hide. They run guilt and shame, and they know real evil. I think we do. I think in our culture, I, I, man, it doesn't matter what area what you're from, what generation you're from, what country you're from, there is evil all around us. I, I mean, every time you turn on the news, I, I think it was just last week, Paul and I were walking in here, we were talking about the, the shooting in, in Texas, and I think it was before we even got home, I mean, there's another one. And there's another one. It's evil. It's humanity doing what we've always done saying, I know what's best for me. And it's not that. It's not the law. We were created. You see this in Genesis 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. We were created to run towards God. We were created to walk with God In the cool of the day. I just have just having a a walk with God. No fear, no, no shame, no guilt, freedom. And that was robbed when our first parents said, I want to do what I want to do. I want autonomy. But we see that our first instinct then is to run from God, to hide, to cover our guilt and our shame. And we would think the rest of the storyline, going now from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the rest of these weeks would be how is humanity trying to earn God's favor? How do we find God and how do we get back to God? And that's simply not what happens. Because as we're going to see, just a few verses later, we see it is God chasing after us. It is God seeking to redeem his image bearers from themselves, from their own sin, from our sin. And God pursues us vehemently. So how do we read the Bible? Paul touched on this briefly last week. We read the Bible left to right or different countries, you know what I'm saying? We might read right to left or top, you know, top to bottom. But chronologically, we as English readers read left to right. American readers, left to right. <laughs> Sorry, delete that from the recording. That was a joke, <laughs> right? We chronologically, we read, we read our Bibles left to right. That's for sure true. That's what's what's happening. And so, be, let me get into the next the next phase, and we're gonna we're gonna go. I'm gonna come come back to this in just just a minute. But I want you to just just put that in your in your thoughts and just hang on to it. So we get to this next phrase of redemption promised. The fourth point, he shall bruise your head. He shall bruise your head or other translations, say, he will crush your head. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. I wanna pull this verse up and I've left one uh, chunk of this out, specifically the ones that we're looking at because I wanna wanna see, this is eight verses later (laughs) that sin enters the world, humanity declares autonomy, freedom from God And he says, there's consequences. You're gonna die now. (laughs) You're gonna be, there's gonna be suffering and pain everywhere now. And as God is cursing the serpent and cursing Satan, he says this, I will put enmity, I will put war between you, devil, and the woman between your offspring and hers. I'm skipping a phrase here. We'll get back to that. And you will strike his heel. You, devil, serpent, are gonna deal some pain and hurt to this offspring of Eve. I wanna illustrate this because it's already been illustrated for me. And it's a book or in a movie, maybe that we're all familiar with, uh, *The Chronicles*, *Chronicles of Narnia*. I have to do that every time. I think I have done that every time I bring this book up. What happens? If you're like, "What do you? What is that?" <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, written by C.S. Lewis. Uh, they they made this into a movie Disney did in 2005. So I know a lot of you, when you were little kids, this movie probably would have come out and you would have watched this movie. I'm sure. Uh, it's very, I think, a very good adaptation from from the book. But the main storyline uh, that's in this, one of the two main characters in this, is Peter and Edmund. Peter is the oldest brother. He's the biggest. He's the fastest. He's the strongest. He's more responsible. Everyone everyone likes Peter, and then you've got this little punk Edmund, who who nobody likes. Even his little sister Lucy's like, Edmund, you're 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 terrible, right? That's what she says. I don't know how she doesn't use that. It's terrible. Um, she doesn't, nobody likes Edmund because he's just, he's a cheater, right? He cheats in hide and seek. He's just not a good guy. Nobody likes him. And he's always trying to earn Peter's favor. He wants to be better than, than Peter. And so they go through this wardrobe and enter and stumble into this other world of Narnia. And very quickly, Edmund runs into the white witch who seems to have power, which he wants. And he seems to, she seems to have everything that he could possibly want in a throne and a castle that he wants to self-rule. He wants to be autonomous from his older brother. And what's he do? He betrays him. He betrays Aslan, the king, this lion. He betrays Aslan, he betrays his his brother and his sisters. He betrays Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. How could you betray the beavers? So nice. He tells them where they're at, where they're hiding. Why? For Turkish delight. Have you ever had a Turkish delight? It's not even good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bad take. (laughs) Chocolate, maybe I could get it. The Turkish delight. What happens though? He turns them in and the white witch says, ha ha, I got you. I mean, this is an analogy of the Bible. Okay, I just thrown that out there. Spoiler alert. The white witch is the devil. Edmund is you and me. <laughs> he turns his back and everything good that he likes and loves, should love. And he betrays Aslan. He betrays the king. And Aslan, the white witch demands blood, demands death. That this thing that he did did is worthy of death, and Aslan the King shows up and he says, "I will take his place." And the Queen says, "You can't, you can't do that. That's not what the law says." And Aslan roars and he's like, uh, "I was there when I wrote the law. Right? I know what's happening here, and what the law says is that an innocent." Someone that's purely innocent can take the place of someone who is vile. And I'm going to give of myself so Edmund can live. And there's this scene, when you're a kid watching this stuff, man, even now I just, this scene where they have this beautiful lion, and they cut off his mane and they bind him and all these minotaurs, minotaurs, whatever you're called, and, and, and all these you know, cyclops and all the wolves and bears, all the bad ones, right, all the bad animals, they're just jeering and flaunting and mocking Aslan as he's being dragged up onto this round table, this altar where he's gonna be sacrificed. And the white witch is standing there with this dagger in her hand, and she pierces Aslan, who gives himself willingly. He lets himself be bound, he lets himself be mocked, he lets himself be beaten, and he gives himself willingly and then the white witch does this right after she plunges the dagger into his chest. The white witch screams, the king is dead. And right here, that old serpent, that devil, thinks he's won. He thinks he's won it all. And this moment is when that serpent bites the heel, causes some intense pain. You will strike his heel. And again, it's analogy. The devil thinks he wins when Jesus dies on the cross, that he gives of himself. He gives, breathes his last breath as he cries out, It is finished. And you can just hear the devil saying, The king is dead. So, how do we read the Bible? Is this really what Genesis 3 is about? Paul talked about this last week looking at, uh, the, what is that movie? Declaration of Independence thing. National Treasure. And he's got these fancy glasses, real fancy, right? Made by Benjamin Franklin. Just a lens, just a little lens. But now he can read the map. Now he can see it, right? Jesus is our, are now our lens. And so when we look back, did it actually, was this, is this actually talking about Jesus? Well, again, to stick with maybe our uh, Shakespeare theme. And I've mentioned this before here. You don't need to even worry about what this says. <laughs> don't worry about it. Every single Shakespeare play is five acts. Act one, in the beginning, God covered that one. Act two, we have this, this rising action, this something that happens. And that's, I think, where we're at now the fall. And then we have the, the climax of the whole story is Satan screaming out, the king is dead but he doesn't stay dead, he rises from the tomb. And we are right now in act four. We don't have explicit instruction, what's happening, what's going on. When is this all gonna be finished? When is Jesus gonna return and make all things new? When is he going to say, I'm gonna make all the wrong, all the evil, all the vile things that is that humanity has ever done, and I'm gonna make it as as if it never happened. Everything wrong, I'm going to make it untrue. Behold, I make all things new. We're not there yet. We're here in act four, but we know how this ends. We know the storyline. We know Jesus wins. We know he doesn't stay in the tomb. And so is this really Jesus? If I stay in Genesis and I read this chronologically left to right, no way this can be Jesus. God is talking to this to a snake. We don't even know who Satan. We haven't been introduced to someone named Satan, the devil. We don't even know who that is. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And there's a shift here in pronouns. As far as he, singular, no longer is going to be offspring, plural, and hers, offspring, plural, singular now. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. But when we read the Bible with these lenses of Jesus, we can look back into this and say, I know the rest of the story. I know what happens. What theologians call the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. But if I'm Moses writing this, do I think of Jesus? Probably not. Eve, when she heard this, she didn't think a Messiah is gonna be coming in the future. She thought it was right now when she has her first child, she says, behold, I have gotten a, a man child from the Lord. She, I really think she thinks this is our savior. She doesn't understand. But now, now we have Jesus. Now we can look back through the lens of Jesus through all of scripture. And we see this image of Jesus on the cross, in that moment of saying he is dead, crushing the head of that serpent. I have this artwork in my office from one of my friends, Chris Coley. Because Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. Satan thinks he's won. Satan thinks he's delivered a, a death blow to the Creator God. He thinks he's won, but he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus rises. From the dead. And so, man, you, you, you forget everything from this sermon. I, every time you see a lion at the zoo, every time you see a beaver, every time you see a wolf, every time you see a minotaur or a child eating Turkish delight, I want you to think of Jesus. And I want you to hear that phrase that the Satan, that Satan likes to say in our head over and over and over. Did God really say, Because I remember seeing him die. Did he really rise from the dead? Yes. Or we have no purpose. Then the only thing we can do is to to win is die. Jesus wins back his image bearers from their own sin. So this kind of phrase here, going back to Chris Bruno's kind of book of now these first four, chapters or verses that we've looked at. God created a kingdom and he is the king, but he made human beings to represent him in the kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death, but God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman. Now we can talk about this covenant language and covenant of works all we want. Can we say, I don't know, man, it seems like a stretch to say that he will crush his head. Is that Is that really the Savior? Is that really Jesus? Is that really the first gospel? Let's just assume it's not. I think it is. But I only have to go a couple more verses to Genesis 3.21, and I think we very explicitly get a gospel. It says this in Genesis chapter 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. God takes some innocent animal clearly has to sacrifice that animal to cover his image bearer's shame. That he's going to shed blood to cover their sins so that they might have life. Jesus then does the same thing, very explicitly talking about bloodshed. With this new covenant, in the gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus says, and again, we'll do this in just a minute. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. I would ask you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe for a long time, you've been trying to find God. My word to you would be stop. You're already there. You're already found that he has been pursuing you. Because Jesus, when he say, takes these elements, the body, the bread that represents his body, the juice that represents his blood says this, you take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. You drink, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant. is a blood sacrifice. It's gonna to happen to usher in this new covenant that it's no longer just for one ethnic, one people group and the Israelites. It's for all people that he died for all of his image bearers. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many the forgiveness of sins. You and I were made, we were created to run towards God, to walk with him. And maybe you've been running for quite some time. Maybe you think you've got it figured out. Maybe in your autonomy said, I know what God said. I know that I'm supposed to put my faith in his son who died thousands of years ago, but I don't know, did God really say that? I think I've got it figured out. I think I'm okay. We've been running. But we need to be reminded that as we take these elements this morning, the king is not dead. (laughs) He's very much alive. And so our gospel response, our gospel application is that God promised to pursue us all the way back at the beginning, all the way back in Genesis 3. He crushed that serpent's head. And now we have the freedom to choose to follow after him and have faith in him. Let me pray. Worship team's gonna come back up. They're gonna play a couple more songs. And like I said, if you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements and come up here and and grab those and take a seat. Partake those elements. Feel free to stand whenever you'd like to sing. and Stay seated, pray, whatever it is that you feel led to do. And then after those two songs, I will come back up and, and dismiss us. Let me pray as we get ready to partake of these elements together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in your sovereignty over everything, that even every single person in this room at some point in their life said, nope, I got this. I'm sick and tired of law and rules and regulation. I'm gonna do it on my own. We've all said that. We've spat in your face. And even while in a, in a, in a grotesque way that our, our filth is still dripping off of your face, that you say, "That's OK, I love you." Let me give of myself for you. You love us so much more than we can begin to comprehend. Our sin is so much greater than we com- can comprehend, but the blood of your son, your servant, is so much greater to cover our sins. That you are just and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray that as we take these elements, that we would remember that sacrifice, that we would remember that Jesus doesn't stay dead. That that old serpent strikes a blow, but Jesus strikes one far more devastating as he crushes his head. So I pray that you'd be honored, you'd be glorified as we, eat these elements to remember the finished work of Christ on the cross as he rises from the dead. As we sing these songs, as we reflect on who you are and how great you are. So God, we pray uh, in these things, in your son's name, amen.